0: Let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 7. The title of this message is The War Within, and there's really no text in the whole Bible that better explains uh, the spiritual battle that goes on within us than Romans chapter 7 and Romans chapter 8. Now, as Lynn was talking about earlier, it's, it's interesting that she was talking about that, and the Lord, I think, has confirmed uh, this study in several ways over the last 12 to 24 hours, but... Spiritual conflict is a daily part of every person's life. There's not a single person in this room that is exempt from it. There's not a single person in this room that doesn't experience it. And what I want to talk about this morning very briefly is is how we deal with it. How we react to spiritual warfare and conflict um, proactively and how we react to it uh, reactively reveals a great deal about where we are uh, spiritually. Now, as I prayed earlier and mentioned earlier, if you haven't trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, uh, we're glad that you're here. Uh, we are not just a church where we want only Christians to be here. We want people who don't know Christ and are looking to understand about what it means to trust in Christ to come. So we're, we're delighted that you're here and you're welcome every week. But if you don't know Christ as your Savior, uh, your perception or your response to spiritual warfare. Uh, will range from either a complete lack of concern, uh, a dismissal, uh, 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 a re- just, you know, I don't care about it, it's not a big deal, uh, to kind of a, a general disaffectedness, well, I kind of sense that it's there, but uh, I, I don't really, it's, it doesn't affect my daily life, to all the way up to wondering whether they're white might be a, a, a kind of an important reason why there is spiritual warfare. You sense the tug between good and evil. You sense the fact that there are times when you're tempted to do things uh, and, and you're wondering what that's all about. Well, I want you to know this morning that that spiritual battle is very, very real. Uh, there's no joke about it. It's not something that, you know, the old cartoons used to have. You remember the devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other, and they kind of joke around, and the devil would stab the angel, and then the angel would stab. Listen, that's, that's a small representation, but that kind of makes it a joke. Spiritual warfare is not a joke. It's very, very real, and we've experienced it in the past week, and many of us have experienced it in the last 48 hours. But I want you to know, wherever you span with God this morning, that spiritual warfare is real, and it's a literal battle for your soul. Now, please understand that God loves you more than you can imagine. And he proved that by sending Jesus Christ to take our sins on himself... And to die on the cross, condemned in my place, condemned in your place, taking our sin. And by doing that, when he died and then he rose again on the third day, he defeated sin, defeated death, and gained victory over them uh, for all eternal life. And when we trust in him, when you trust in Christ that he did that, God delivers you and saves you and forgives you and cleanses you and adopts you forever. Now the devil hates that. He hates that truth, and he knows it's true because he's been defeated. The devil's place is already secure. The Bible talks about in the book of Revelation. He will be in the lake of fire forever. He will be destroyed. He will have no more power. So knowing that, because the devil can read just like you and I can, he knows that the best thing that he can do until he's thrown in the lake of fire is to drag every single person down with him that he can. Which means that the last thing he wants you to do this morning, whether you're unsaved or saved, is to trust in Jesus Christ. So he will be trying, and he's trying even right now as I'm talking, to convince you that what we're about to read is not true. That it's a lie, it's a farce, it's a joke, that it's something only crazy people believe. But I want to tell you this morning, I am living proof that Romans 7 and 8 is true. I'm living proof. I've been saved. I've been delivered from my sin. I'm confident that God has cleansed me, and I know when I die, I'm going to heaven. So I'm living proof, and there are many around you that are living proof this morning. We want you to know that salvation is real and that the only hope is in Jesus Christ. And you can have the exact same awesome confidence that I have this morning, and I'm not bragging about it because I didn't do anything to deserve it or to earn it. Christ did it. But I want you to have the same awesome confidence that we have this morning that you need salvation and that you can't save yourself and Christ died and rose again so you can be saved. And as Lynn said earlier, if you want to talk to somebody about that, we would love to stand and talk to you and share scripture with you and pray with you so you would know that. Now, that's for an unbeliever. For those of us that have trusted Christ and given our lives to him, our reaction to spiritual warfare will really be largely determined by where we are in terms of our spiritual maturity. Those that are weaker or younger in the faith many times will feel kind of overwhelmed and almost defeated, maybe discouraged or or, uh, just kind of wondering why it's such a struggle, why warfare is so difficult. Those that are growing in the Lord will really sense the the battle between good and evil, and they'll sense the daily struggle to put off sin and to put on holiness, and as they grow in their faith, they'll have more victories than defeats. Those who are mature in their faith will be very aware of it, and as we get mature in our faith, we look at spiritual warfare, and we get very annoyed We get very frustrated. I would say we even get righteously angry at how insidious the devil is and how often he brings conflict on us and how persistent he is to attack, especially at times of great victory or at times when we're vulnerable or times when we're tired. We could go on and on, right, Christians? And it's brutal. I'm not going to mince words this morning. The attack is brutal and it's nasty and it's unfair, but here's what we know about spiritual conflict. We know that Christ is victorious. We know that when we trust in Christ, he's the one who has victory. He's defeated the devil forever. And greater is he that is in us, tell me the rest of the phrase, than he that's in the world. So if you know Christ, you don't have to live in defeat and discouragement and despair and weakness. You can live in complete victory. So how we react to the warfare really becomes every bit as important as our actions we know as believers we're supposed to walk in holiness we know as believers we're supposed to put off the old and put on the new but but many times when spiritual warfare comes how we react to the situations is every bit as important as how we are proactive and if we love the Lord we really have no question that we have to react in godly ways. Now, why do we do that? Let me give you three quick reasons. Why do we need to react in godly ways? For one thing, it honors the name of Christ because we bear his name. I am a Christian. That means I'm a follower of Christ. So as a follower of Christ, how I react in situations where I'm being pushed will either honor or dishonor the name of the person that I bear. The second reason is it confirms the integrity of our spiritual walk and our spiritual maturity. In other words, we're proving our faith. We're proving, this is the whole point of the book of James. We're proving our faith by how we act. If we don't act and react in a godly way, then you have to wonder, well, do you really love the Lord? And the third reason is that it protects our witness. Because anytime we as believers act like the world... It diminishes our ability to be salt and light. Let me say that again. Anytime as believers we act like the world, it diminishes our ability to be salt and light. So what's the devil going to do? He's going to constantly push us. And we need to be immediately aware of what's going on and make a conscious decision in our inner man not to yield to the instinct of the flesh, but instead to yield to the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit gives us self-discipline. Now let's develop this a little bit, because the great challenge is that as believers, we know we're forgiven. How many say amen? We know we're free. How many say amen? But there are still times of failure, right? There's not one person in this room who is living a perfect life. We're declared perfect by God, and when we get to heaven, we'll know the fulfillment of being made perfect, but between salvation and heaven, we're declared perfect, but we're still in process. This is called progressive sanctification, progressively becoming more and more holy, So Romans 7 here describes the conflict that this creates within us. And I want to start in Romans chapter 7 and verse 21, and we're going to read down to chapter 8, verse 5. This is one of the deepest passages in Scripture, and we're going to spend about 10 to 15 minutes just kind of covering the surface of it. But take some time this week to really read this text. Notice what Paul says here in verse 21. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that on one hand I myself with my mind... I'm serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. Chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, so the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit on the things of the Spirit. Now, Paul writes, Wretched man that I am, which is a very honest and raw statement, but it's kind of shocking when you consider the source. This is one of the greatest believers who's ever lived, one of the greatest evangelists who's ever lived, a person who loved the Lord with all his heart, a person who was martyred for his faith, and who wrote most of the New Testament and led Thousands and thousands and thousands of people to Christ, set up churches, and whose impact, even today, 2,000 years later, we're standing in Racine, Wisconsin, studying what he wrote. So, this is a man who loved the Lord with all his heart, and yet he writes in chapter 7, Wretched man that I am. Now, this shows just how deep. The spiritual war is inside of us. And Paul was so strong and resilient for the Lord that that the Lord actually allowed a thorn, he describes in 2 Corinthians, a thorn to torment him physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And his conclusion out of that trial was that God's grace is sufficient in all situations. But as he was going through that, he struggled. And he wondered what to learn from it. A little spiritual side principle here is that God is always teaching us. There is never a moment in the 168 hours you're going to have this week until, God willing, we're going to be back here next Sunday. There is never a moment where God is not going to be teaching you. Even in the mundane things of life, God is bringing spiritual principles to life. And we need to have spiritual eyes And we need to constantly be asking Him for wisdom and discernment to understand and live by what He's revealing to us. Now Paul said, I had this thorn, I had this difficulty that was in my life. And I asked the Lord to remove it three times and the Lord didn't remove it. And God says, the reason I gave you that, Paul, is because you are a deeply spiritual man, and you are getting revelations from me, the special, special insight into the work of God that nobody else was getting. But he said, you're human just like the next guy. And what's going to happen if you don't have trial is your pride is going to go through the woof, roof. woof. What am I saying? Little, little problem there. He said, your pride's going to go through the roof. It's going to escalate. It's going to be so strong that you're going to miss out on what I'm teaching you. We know pride's strong, right? We know pride is so constantly trying to capture us that the desire for me, the desire for self, the desire to have control, the desire to do what I want, it tries to dominate every single aspect of our lives. And God said, Paul... You are a godly man. You're you're seeing revelation from me. But if I don't give you something that's going to pull you back, you're going to get too proud. Now Paul sensed this. And he knew, look back at the text, that there was this inner war that was going on. And Romans 7 tells us that when we renounce sin and trust in Christ as Savior, that, that Christ transforms our nature and God fills us with his spirit. And while we're cleansed and while we're forgiven and while we're assured of heaven, the problem is the flesh still says the same. God's delivered us. He's removed the sin. He's changed our nature. All things are made new. So the outgrowth of salvation should be that we are progressively growing in Christ, that the old sinful nature that has been eradicated and forgiven by God now has to be put off by us because our natural inclination is to run back to the flesh. And just because we're saved and just because we're cleansed and just because we're forgiven doesn't mean that the devil stops trying to corrupt us because he wants to drag us back into sin. And he has no greater desire this morning than to disprove spiritual transformation. The devil has no greater desire than to take Christians and to try to corrupt us in a way that disproves in people's minds the fact that there's literally been a spiritual transformation in our lives. If I look just like the world, the devil wins. He can't take me away from heaven, but he can do a lot of damage while I'm here on earth. And through me, he can do a lot of damage to other people that are around me. So how important is it that we walk with Christ? I look back at verse 23 for a second. Let's try to get through this because Paul describes what's going on. He says there's a war that's being fought between my body and my mind. My heart and my mind, which have been redeemed, they know to live righteously. But my body... My flesh is trying to make me a prisoner of sin again. This is the constant spiritual controversy that goes on in our lives. And that's why the Bible tells us what? Die to self daily and walk by the Spirit. Because chapter 7, verse 23 is happening every day. And we need to evaluate What's going on in our lives? I once heard a pastor say, is the spirit or your flesh driving the car of your life? Or are you constantly weaving? Is the spirit driving? Is the spirit in control? Are you yielded to him? Or is your flesh still in control and driving? Or are you trying to navigate and manage both and you're weaving back and forth? But look at the next sentence in verse 24. Verse 24. Paul says, I'm a wretched man. I've got this conflict that's going on. It's a a pervasive battle every day. But here's the victory. Look at verse 24. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's the only one this morning, whether you're unsaved or saved, he's the only one who can give victory over sin. He's the only one who can set you free from the control of sin and death. And look at how this is explained. Go back a page to chapter 5 and verse 6. Paul says, while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we're saved from the wrath of God through him. Look at verse 17. If by the transgression of one, death reigned through the one, that's Adam, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Go to chapter 6, verse 8. Now if we've died with Christ, we believe we'll also live with him knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death is no longer master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God and Christ. Now, that's the truth. That's the only hope that we have for salvation. Because God is gracious, and because his grace is sufficient and because he defeated sin and death by rising from the grave, when we trust in Christ, we are saved. Now that leads us, let's draw it to a close, that leads us to chapter 8 and verse 1. Because here Paul says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. The law of the Spirit, we're going to call that Law A. The Law of the Spirit had to set us free from the law of sin and death. We're going to call that Law B. So Law A has defeated Law B. Now, if you give a, a tiger a, a bowl of noodles and you give a tiger a bowl of raw meat, which one's he going to eat? Yeah, every time, right? He's not going to go, oh, delightful, I have some linguine here. I think I'll partake of that. Do you have a little Alfredo sauce? No, the tiger's instinct is what? Raw meat, I'm going to eat that, and I'm going to eat it like crazy. Now, law B is the tiger with the bowl of meat. The natural inclination of our flesh, the natural inclination of our humanity is for the things that gratify us. For the things that are tangible and temporary and satisfying to our senses. But the Bible says that under law A, walking by the spirit, that the power of law B, listen now, the power of law B, the natural inclination of our flesh, is defeated and it's superseded and it's replaced by a hunger and thirst for what? Righteousness. So the natural inclination of my flesh is to gratify self, to be selfish, to to, to go for the things that appeal to my senses, that are temporary and are tangible, and that I can feel and touch and taste. That's what my flesh wants. But the Bible says that because of what Christ has done, that inclination has been replaced, and now God, through Christ, gives me a hunger and thirst for righteousness. And our desires and our tastes change. Our desires and our tastes change we don't have to give in anymore because the Spirit of God has given us power to resist and to be victorious over temptation and sin and the more we yield to him the more we don't want to give in the older you are in Christ the more you should have zero appetite for the flesh zero appetite For the old man. So, as believers, we have to put our full confidence and faith in the law of the Spirit. We have to believe, this is the key to victory in the Christian walk. We have to believe that it is greater because if we don't believe that the law of the Spirit is greater than the law of the flesh, how in the world are we going to function as believers? Our faith is not just in our head. It has to come through in our actions and in our reactions. And the way we spiritually react shows the depth of our faith. It shows in how we respond to the conflict of the battle. In the last 24 hours, I've seen a number of evidences of how the devil constantly wants to fight what God does. We had a fantastic week at VBS. We saw kids hearing about Christ for the first time. We saw kids having insight into what Christ has done. We had one little boy who, as I was describing the crown of thorns being put on Jesus' head and him being beaten with a stick, I, I actually watched. Have you ever seen a light bulb go on in somebody's eyes? I actually sat there. He was about five feet in front of me, and I saw his countenance change, and I saw the light bulb go on, and he started to, to started to cry. He understood. He had heard about Jesus many times. But it was like, all of a sudden, it's like, wait a second. Jesus went through that for me? And it changed him. We saw God move. So is the devil going to sit back and go, well, that's great. I'm so glad you guys had a great week at VBS. You know what? Just, Just keep talking to those kids about Jesus and keep celebrating as a church and coming together and worship God and praise him and talk about how deep the Father's love for us. You know what? I'll take a break. No, the devil instantly attacked. I had a conversation with a member last night online. They had had an awful evening where all of a sudden something escalated and they were under deep spiritual attack. As I finished that conversation online, my wife and my daughter walked in, and they were in a fantastic mood, and I was in a fantastic mood, and within two minutes, there was conflict and frustration and misunderstanding, and we were uptight with each other, and I was like, what in the world just happened? And then later, one of our children became very upset about something, and they had a long conversation with my wife, and it hit me as I'm studying about spiritual conflict. Hey, this is the enemy. This is the enemy trying to push the buttons because of what he hated happened here last week. And how do we as believers react to this? Not just to the opposition, but to the temptation to react in the wrong way. The answer came to me when I overheard a parent talking to a child this week. And the child was so frustrated Because they were in trouble. Why do I keep getting in trouble? And the parent said, this is how you stop getting in trouble. Don't do the things you shouldn't do. That's Romans 7. Now, please hear me. I know the parent. They were not being a jerk. They were not being snide like, well, just don't do that. They were saying, this was wise spiritual instruction. If you don't want to keep getting in trouble, then stop doing the things you shouldn't do. That's Paul's point. It's a simple life principle, but it is as deep a spiritual principle as we can possibly understand. And yet somehow we struggle to accept it. And listen, don't feel bad about yourself because the Apostle Paul struggled to accept it. The Apostle Paul said, there's this battle within me, and it's going on. And the good that I know that I should do, I don't do. And the things that I know that I should do, uh, don't, shouldn't do, I do. What in the world? I'm a wretched, awful person. But thanks be to God, because there's victory in Christ. And because of that, look back at Romans 8.1. There's no condemnation because of Christ. So Jesus isn't sitting there with a the believer going, well, you're still condemned. And look at what you did. Oh, I can't believe it. No, there's freedom in Christ, right? You're cleansed. Your sins and iniquities, I remember no more. I have taken them as far as the east is from the west. When I look at the life of Paul Rhodes, I don't understand how this is true. When I look at the life of Paul Rhodes, it's clean. There's nothing there. There's no condemnation. So how's the enemy going to hit us? He's going to hit us through other people. Through other people. And the indicator of spiritual maturity is when a sinful person makes you feel bad about who you are in Christ. How to react? Sinful people will accuse us and they'll oppose us and they'll condemn us until Christ returns. How do I know that? I know that because Jesus says in Matthew 5, sinful people are going to accuse you and condemn you and impose you until I come back because you're with me. And because you're with me, you're going to be blessed when people do that. But how do we react? Even if other people don't condemn us, the enemy certainly will because he's called the accuser of believers. The enemy has two jobs, to accuse and to lie. One of his main jobs and one of his most effective jobs is to accuse believers nonstop. The Bible says he even stands before God and accuses us. Can you imagine the gall to stand before the Savior of the world who sent his Son to die and rise again for us and to say, that Rhodes, oh boy. Do you know about him? Do you know what he's doing? Do you know what's in his thoughts? Do you know what's in his actions? Do you know the words he says? Do you know the anger that he has? Do you get all that? God, do you see that? Because he may not be exactly what you think he is. And God looks at Jesus and says, there's no condemnation in Jesus Christ. Now, knowing that, we're fighting three things. We're fighting the old nature, which isn't going away. We're fighting the enemy who's accusing and tempting us constantly. And we're fighting the culture, which is increasingly, watch the news, evidence there every day. It's increasingly hostile toward biblical Christians, which means it is vitally important, vitally important, that we learn how to constantly react maturely, even to our own failures. As Christians, we need to understand that because of Christ, believer, hear this this morning, non-believer listen, because this is for you too. As Christians, because of Christ, I'm going to say it again, God has forgiven us of all our sin, and he's cleansed us from all unrighteousness, and he's filled us with his Holy Spirit. And Romans 8.1 tells me this can't be true, uh, it can't be a lie, because this is a lie, throw away the whole book. Romans 8.1 tells us that there is now no condemnation from Christ toward his people. But, let me put a caveat, just because there is no condemnation and we've been cleansed, that does not give us a license to sin. Sin is still every bit as offensive to God. It caused Jesus to have to go to the cross, and there is zero latitude for it and zero excuse for it. But we need to recognize that because there's a battle going on, and because there is a war within us and outside of us, and because we're still human, and we're still growing in our holiness, there will be times where we fail. That's part of it. But it does not give us the excuse to make it a habit or to make it a routine. There should be no habit of sin in the believer's life because if we keep taking in sin, James 1 says that lust is conceived and lust brings forth sin. In other words, if you keep planting sin in your heart, guess what? It's going to take root and it's going to grow. Don't, don't, don't take in sin and say, well, there's no effect. Because I'm forgiven. You told me there's no condemnation in Christ. Yeah, but that's not a license to sin. That's a license to be holy. So don't allow sin to take root. We're called to put it off and to resist it. And the enemy is going to come along every day. And he's going to accuse us in a different way. Oh, Rhodes, you're such a failure. You're such a hypocrite. Oh, you talked real nicely Sunday about no condemnation in Christ. That was great. Hey, by the way, nice anger when that person cut you off. Nice honking the horn. Your kids are watching that. You're such a failure. You ever hear that? Such a hypocrite. You act all holy. You're not holy. Listen. He's going to lie. And he's going to say God wants no part of us. But when you hear that voice in your head, just quote Romans 8.1 again. Hey, I know I'm not what I'm going to be, but God's already declared me holy. And when I get to heaven and you're defeated, I'm going to be victorious in Christ. So there's no condemnation from Christ. As we feel that defeat and that push by the enemy, we have to keep getting up. Proverbs says that a righteous man falls seven times But he gets up the mature believer always gets up but the immature believer is content to stay at level one i i I need to finish but let me just say this Uh, one of the things that has really um, really been hard for me to watch as a pastor over the last 20 or 30 years is to see people who are not growing because there's a lack of repentance and a lack of sincerity. If, if you're not willing to continually confess sin and get washed and live in holiness, then then sin's going to still have mastery over you. If you're not willing to reject sin and say, I'm done with the cycle, I'm done with the habits of sin, th- then then you're just really not serious about the Lord. And what the devil does is he gives you moments of getting it right, moments of revelation. Some of those are from the enemy. Oh, yes, I get it. Okay, now I see this is what I've got to do. And then we go right back to the old life, and there's actually more damage done. When we sin, when you and I sin, listen now, we need to repent immediately, not in two weeks. Not, will I get to it at the end of the day? I lay down in bed each night and confess all my sins. No, you don't know you're going to get to the end of the night. So when you sin, confess it immediately. If you wait, you're open to temptation, and you're more prone to accept that as normal behavior. And if you want to understand the power of confession, just look at Peter, because he's on the shores of Galilee, and he confesses his sin and repents to Christ. And 50 days later, he stands up and preaches, and 3,000 people get saved. You want to know the power of confession? Look at Peter. How many know the Lord will use us if our hearts are right? The Lord will use us if our hearts are right. And maybe the reason why He's not using us more is because our, we aren't living exactly as we're supposed to live. Ephesians says that God has raised us up and seated us in the heavenly realms. Listen to that. God has raised us up and seated us in the heavenly realms. Is that how we live? Is that how we think? There should be power and confidence because of Christ. No matter what people say about you, you're a child of God. No matter what people say about you, there's no condemnation for Christ. And every day our prayer should be, Lord, I want to be more like you. I want to be more like Christ. Negativity and timidity don't have any place in righteousness. Instead, as Paul tells Timothy, there should be power and love and self-discipline which come from the Spirit. And when we have faith in Christ, we have power in Christ. The Greek word is dunamis. It means strength, power, and ability. When you have faith in Christ, you have dunamis. When you access Christ through prayer, you have dunamis. When you study the word of God, you have dunamis. You can't allow the weight of sin and the weight of fear and the weight of the cares of the world to drag you down. Go to the source of life and have victory in him. And God will do that for us. And the more we yield to him, the more we'll see the Lord give us that power and that strength and that overcoming spirit. Look one more time, and we're going to pray. Verse 4 and 5, Paul says, We don't walk according to the flesh anymore. We walk according to the Spirit of God. And those who walk according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. The enemy's always going to attack the mind first because the mind controls the action. So let me close with three important questions. Number one, what are you filling your mind with? What are you filling your mind with? Philippians says, fill it with what is true and honorable and right and pure and of good spiritual reputation. Is that what you're filling your mind with? Or are you filling it with what's impure and dishonorable and part of the enemy's deception? So number one, what are you filling your mind with? Number two, what are you allowing your mind to believe? So, where the battle is for a lot of people. Do you believe the power and sufficiency and grace of God and no condemnation through Christ? Or is there defeat and fear and insecurity and the accusation of the enemy? Do not believe his lies. God loves you. And Christ died for you. And you are worth everything to God. Number three, what's your mind fixed on? What do you fill it with? What do you believe and then what do you settle on? Is it righteousness or unrighteousness? Every one of us is in a spiritual battle, and it's going to be hostile. And like Elijah said, you've got to choose which side you're on. Are you for the Lord or for you, the devil? If you're saved, are you for Christ or are you yielding? When we trust Christ, we're no longer condemned. It's an amazing freedom. So when the enemy lies and accuses, just say, I have victory in Jesus. I have victory in Jesus. I have victory in Jesus. And when the battle rages within us, clothe yourself with righteousness, and God will give you power and strength and ability. Amen? Let's close our eyes. Lord, we thank you. For your word this morning we thank you for the power and strength that you put in our lives lord i pray for every single one of us this morning for those who haven't trusted you yet lord that today their heart would be awakened and they would understand that you love them and have grace you want to pour it on their lives i pray they would not leave without talking to us and without praying to receive you as savior their lives will be changed for eternity And Lord, for those of us that have trusted you at various stages now in our walk, various stages of maturity, Lord, this word is for us this morning. No matter where we are with you, we're going to be under attack. Even now, we're under attack. Even now, the enemy's whispering lies and accusations. Lord, help us to understand and remember that your word is true, that Christ died for our sins, that Christ rose again, and because we've trusted in him, we have complete victory for all eternity. No longer does the old control us. Now we walk in the new. So, Lord, equip us now. Give us the power and the strength and the ability to walk by your spirit this week. We love you, Lord. We thank you for who you are and what you've done in our lives. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.